This is the Becoming Educated podcast. Our mission is to inform educators, challenge their thinking, and inspire them to teach with joy. So welcome to the Becoming Educated podcast today. I am Darren Leslie. Today I'm joined by Dr. Culvern Atwell. Colvarn is currently the executive head teacher of two large primary schools in London, having spent his entire career teaching in East London schools. Dr. Atwell specialises in teacher professional learning and his doctoral thesis highlighted the factors which impact upon teacher professional learning activities. He has applied his learning to enhance the learning experience for young people in his schools and he has written about them in his book, The Thinking School, Developing a Dynamic Learning Community. Dr. Atwell, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Very pleased to be with you, Darren. It's a pleasure for me, for me certainly. Um, could we start off by you giving a brief, brief history of, of who you are and your career to date, please? Yeah, um, I've been teaching for 20 years. I'm currently um, executive head teacher over two large primary schools um, in the London Borough of Redbridge. Um, and uh, initially, as, a, as an NQT, I was uh, um, driven by a desire to engage in research because it was something that I'd done during my PGTE. Um, so I began a master's and I, I, I was fascinated by the impact of engagement in research and strong professional learning and improving my teaching. And I was concerned by the disparity of the quality of teaching in different classrooms in my school. So where you had people that were motivated and committed and to learn and reflective, it was a very different experience for the children. And so I was made responsible, I think, in my third year or fourth year for the learning of all staff. Um, and, that, and then that took me into my research and reading about what factors impact upon teacher engagement in professional learning. And then, so when I had the opportunity to begin my doctorate, it was uh, straightforward that I was going to focus on exactly that, what factors impact on teacher engagement in professional learning, with a particular focus on action research. So when I, when I began my first headship um, in my eighth year at one of my current schools, um, the schools required improvement, and um, I decided to, to, to implement the research from my doctorate in developing a dynamic learning community. So that's really where my focus is on, um, using the findings from my research to put into practice a model that maximizes teachers' informal and formal professional learning opportunities. So, I mean, that's really where I am, to be honest with you. And that kind of formed the basis of, of your book. So we're going we're, we're to cover through some of the things you discussed in your book, and I'm going to dive deep into them. So just to start us off with that, why do we need a thinking school, Dr. Atwell? Well, the, the basis of my study was that what I found is that the core business in schools is, is learning, children's learning. Yet the actual quality of teacher learning experiences is relatively poor. So if we look at the five training days over the course of a year or your one-hour staff meetings, does it really give opportunities for practitioners to think deeper about their practice, to reflect deeper about their practice? And it's around this premise that learning happens over time and through, to, through thinking about your practice and questioning and collaboratively reflecting in professional dialogue, you'll have a much more dynamic learning community. So you, you, you'll, you'll be looking at practitioners who are more creative, who are able to take risks, 
who are um, able to improve in a way which doesn't often happen in schools. So that, that, that would be thinking practitioners, considering everything they do in terms of its impact on children's learning, and then providing a learning environment that not only maximizes the learning of adults, uh, but in turn maximizes the learning of children. So the, the premise there is that the greatest single factor that impacts on the quality of children's learning experiences in schools is the quality of teaching. And if we can tap into teacher learning, my argument is that the, the greatest impact that we can have as leaders on the quality of teaching is by having really strong focus on teacher professional learning. Okay, so why then is it, is it important that we do place that high value on, on teacher learning? You've already alluded to children's learning, but could, could you share a little bit more on that, please? Yeah, of course. Um, some, some research I looked into, this was a piece of research coming out of America, which argued that the average teacher stopped improving in their third year. So uh, uh, establishes their behavior strategies, establishes their way of teaching, um, and then has in place, uh, for the rest of their career, uh, a, a fairly rigid set of strategies. Now, what I'm arguing is that in any other profession, in learning professions, there would be a focus of continual improvement, continual reflection, continual growth. So my belief is that as a teacher, we should be improving every day. And that improvement should come from, from within rather than from someone coming in and making an observation and setting targets. That That is a, a focus on performance rather than learning. So what we really want to do is create an environment in which teachers are continually questioning what they do in terms of the impact upon their children's learning. And for that to happen, you have to be engaging in either research, you have to be engaging in professional dialogue with others, lesson studies, peer learning, all factors that will, will impact and improve practice. Remember that when, when uh, researchers engage in research, they may be looking to gain new knowledge. Whereas what I'm, what I'm looking for in terms of practitioner research is direct impact on improvement to practice. Um, impact on the practice and what a teacher does in the classroom to directly impact upon um, the children's learning. So we're looking at a, a practitioner who's reflective, who's creative, who's flexible, who is, who is responding to, to children in an informed way. And if I give you one example, is as a leader, I've invested in the learning of the staff team that I have. Um, we've gone from requiring improvement to, to being, you know, considered externally strong in everything. And we've done that directly by improving the teacher's learning experiences to improve their teaching. So say, for example, I've got 10 teachers at, at my first school who've all got a master's in education. It is not difficult to lead teachers who are reflective and critical um, and are, are designing curriculum opportunities that are, are, are embedded in research. That's, that's, a simple, that's the simple premise, that as a leader, if I invest in my adults, then I'll have a, that will be the greatest impact I can have on the children. It certainly is, and we're going to delve a little bit deeper into some of the professional learning opportunities that, that you do encourage your staff to take a little bit later on. Um, so before we kind of get into the, the nitty-gritty of the book, how do we then define a dynamic learning community? Well, what, what I did in my research is, um, as part of my doctorate, I spoke to lots of teachers, I interviewed teachers, um, and I, I asked them about what professional learning experiences that they really truly valued. And 
what I then came up with was a conceptual framework of activities, which I argue that if you introduce these activities into your school, there will be a um, related positive impact, not only through those formal learning uh, activities they're engaging in, but you will create an expansive informal learning environment in which teachers are continuously engaging in professional dialogue. Um, that, some of those theories were taken from workplace learning theories, which describe the fact that more is learned informally um, rather than through the formal learning opportunities that are made available. So the formal activities that I talk about and I discuss in the book include um, engaging in collaborative research, um, engaging in peer learning observations, engaging in uh, lesson study, uh, and developing every member of staff as a coach, um, providing time for teachers to plan collaboratively. The, the, by, by implementing these activities consistently, you'll create an environment in which teachers are continually engaging in informal work-based learning, and that's the argument. But the word dynamic was chosen because it, it, it represents the energy of the individual in continuously reflecting um, and being creative and taking risks, but also of the community in terms of their engagement with each other. Um, I talk in the book about learning-focused leaders, that leaders, every person they seen as a leader, and they judge their impact in terms of children's learning and children's learning outcomes, both academically but also socially, emotionally, personally. And so the, the premise there is that you're creating an environment in which you the the learning community replicates itself through the people that join, whether they're an NQT um, or whether or not they're, they're um, a student teacher because they're engaging in that deep professional dialogue. And, and taken simply, uh, you know, I have been a, uh, a head teacher over three schools in an executive capacity. I know that the, children, the, the teachers that have been in this dynamic learning community for a number of years, even someone in their third year of teaching, is working in a way that maybe is further enhanced than an experienced leader in, in, in the other schools in terms of their mentality, in terms of their um, dispositions and attitudes to learning. So it's very powerful. It certainly is, and, and, and that came across when, it, when I was reading your book. And something you spoke about in your book was this idea about values-led leadership. Why do you think that is important to develop in your, in your thinking schools? I think it's absolutely fundamental, Darren, because... Uh, we believe, as a, as a learning community, that our, our actions are informed by our values. So, for example, you know, I, I hear lots of buzz phrases um, in education, like uh, high expectations. Now, uh, high expectations are informed by our values. Do, you, do, does everybody really believe that every child in that classroom can achieve, and despite their disadvantages, despite their language needs? Does, is there genuinely a belief in high expectations? And then, and then, in terms of being values-led, is how how shared are the values across your staff team, across your year group, across across your leadership team? How committed is everybody in the same way to saying that we want every child to develop as a as a citizen, to develop emotionally, socially? And that's why, if the learning community is strong enough, those students right now, 14 of our class teachers were student teachers with us. Because the learning community is so strong, they then are either they develop the values or, or they see those values in them in themselves. And so, for example, over we're eight years through now, and I've spent a grand total, bearing in mind we require improvements, of 28 pounds on on 
advertising, recruitment, retention of staff in those years. So clearly we're doing something right because so many teachers want to work here and, and grow here and develop here and stay here. It certainly, certainly sounds like it. We're going to kind of talk a little bit more about the things in the book and start with, I want to start there with, with an example that you discussed about open challenge because you mentioned earlier on that you've got teachers, that a lot of your teachers were student teachers, that some of your teachers, even though they've only been in the in the profession for a number, of, a small number of years, they've got masters in in education and they've got that level of thinking. But you have a great example yeah. when discussing the the lack of open challenge in schools. Yeah. And in this, you involve others in a decision you made to send books home in your first year as a head teacher. Could you yeah. share share more on that example? Yeah, it's a good it's a good example because bearing in mind the development of uh, the learning community that I'm describing here takes time. Um, and in that first year, you, I operate a very distributed leadership model. So, and, and high challenge and high trust and very, and very open. Now, if you're then going into an environment which has been very hierarchical, the people that, that find it most challenging are the leaders, the leaders that have promoted a, a hierarchical environment. And so uh, me going in can be quite unsettling for, for many people. Now, it's easier now when I go into a school because I have, A, the experience behind me, but also the track record. When I first came to, I arrived at a school that had been requiring improvement, and um, the I sat down with my school improvement partner at the time, and um, she asked me what, what was my plan, and I said, oh, um, I've been working on this doctorate, I've got this approach, I'm going to, to stop the um, uh, judgmental lesson observations, these teachers are on their knees. I need to give them time and space to grow and develop their craft. We're all going to engage in collaborative action research projects over the course of a term. We're going to understand assessment for learning and we're going to develop our practice. And she thought I was absolutely mad um, uh, because she expected me to go in with a real firm approach and set targets for everyone, observe them, judge them. And I know that that doesn't support learning over time and that would not have improved practice. That would have just developed performance. And when we came to this example of the, the books going home, um, we, we wanted to develop greater parental engagement at the school because parents were really kept at a distance. So one of the things we decided to do is we said, right, okay, we're going to send the books home and we're going to send a, a dialogue sheet with each book for parents to complete and ask questions of their children. What do you enjoy about your learning? What do you find challenging in your learning? And it was almost as if all hell had broken loose because everyone started saying, well, we can't possibly do that. And I, I do like to listen to everybody and I do have open challenges. So I said, OK, what do we think of the barriers? And then they came out with the barriers. Someone said, well, um, th these parents won't, won't bring the books back. They'll lose the books. The books will get ruined. Um, uh, they, uh, they said, how are we going to ensure that parents don't try and tell teachers what they should be doing? Others said that they might comment on the market and the feedback. And, and basically, I went through each thing and I said, if you don't give them the opportunity to value those books, how are we ever going to enable them to value their learning? I said about, if the, if the parents, if you're, if you're not happy with sharing your feed, feedback or marking, then we need to be thinking about that rather than um, uh, not sending them home. And then at the end of it, in this heated meeting, and I said, right, okay, let's do this. Let's give it a go. And if, if everybody says it didn't work and we don't want to do it again, we won't do it again. 
and that just took the sting out of the whole situation because people realised that I my my focus was genuinely on the children and what was best for the children, and too often conversations that take place at leadership level in schools is about what is in the best interest of the adult rather than the child. And I will judge every decision I make in terms of its impact upon children. And so once you get, if you repeat that authentically and genuinely as a leader and, and you model it in everything you do, you eventually embed that in the culture. And the people who, who share those values want to be part of that learning community in that culture. And people that don't either leave or, 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 or find it difficult to be part of the community. So you have to almost go through that development to come out the other side and, and to be in a position where we are at my first school now. Definitely, and it goes back to what you said earlier about taking the time. And I like that, what you said in the middle of that about improving practice versus developing performance in that idea yeah. of, of open challenge or going in with a, being a leader that, that isn't willing to be challenged and, and kind of seeing it how it is, you'll, you'll develop performance. But, compared to what you're trying to do and improve practice. I really, I really like what you said there. Um, and you mentioned distributed leadership and this idea of high challenge and high trust. What is the value of, of distributed leadership in your schools? Well, I think from a simple perspective, if I enable everyone to be a leader and I give them, authentically give them the responsibility that comes with that, so they make decisions, they make changes, they, they, they consider, they reflect, um, they inspire, they motivate. If you genuinely distribute that leadership and say that everybody's got a voice, now, what that means is, and I, and I write about it in the book, that the midday assistant play leader is the leader in the playground at lunchtime, that the cook is the leader in the kitchen at, at lunchtime. What, what happens is then everybody brings their brains to work. Everybody is part of the decision-making and part of the reflection. Because if we are all genuinely interested in the children and what's best for the children, then we will genuinely engage in open, authentic discussion and conversation. Now, I'm surrounded by people who will, will innovate, and, but very collaboratively. Because what happens when it's distributed, it doesn't become my thing. I'm the literacy lead, I'm the PE lead. The other thing we do is we, we don't pigeonhole people. So if someone's really good at something, so for example, we have a really good PE lead, we give, her, we give her something else, like a, a lead for writing or other things that she's passionate about. So people get opportunities to develop leadership skills through, through different um, uh, responsibilities. And, and so that can only come if you authentically believe in it. So uh, often I hear people talk about, well, we distribute leadership, middle leaders this, middle leaders that. We don't use any terms like middle leaders, senior leaders. Uh, uh, my title is head learning leader because I need to have learn, learning in the title. My deputy is a senior learning leader. We then have learning leaders. Class teachers are called class leaders. Um, and our teaching assistants are called learning coaches. Because we want to emphasize that all of us are equally responsible and interested in every child's learning. And you end up with teachers who, who if, you, if someone feels that they have a voice and they're working in line with their values, then they're less likely to be frustrated in their job and they're more likely to give their best for the children. Like, I like what you've done there with the, with the changes in titles and, and the, obviously the, you're placing such a high value on the learning of children and it goes back to what you said earlier about too many times we focus on the adults but we actually came into the profession to focus on children so I think you're, you're proving that in, in the way that you, you run your schools. Now we're now yeah, going to look at... Just, um, so, sorry Darren, I just wanted to add one thing there because often people will say, well you're running two schools, how can you, 
how can you teach? So I, I, my teaching responsibilities are across Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning groups and before school. Um, and I do that because I, I would be unable to authentically engage in new research or collaborative dialogues with the teachers about teaching and learning if I wasn't equally engaging with any new things that we're, we're developing or, or we're innovating with. So that's very, very important um, to me because if, if you're authentically leading, I think that leadership has to be of, of learning. And that's why everybody, uh, the only person that doesn't have teaching responsibilities at the school is the SENCO because the SENCO has specific focus on um, on individual children, but everybody else has teaching responsibilities. Brilliant, brilliant. I, lo- I absolutely love that, and and think that's of great value, especially if, if you're if if you are obviously the head learning leader, but if you're teaching the children, you you're fully and fully engaged and informed in the the day to day work of the of the of the class teachers. So, kind of thinking now about the the professional learning that underpins your dynamic learner community. And before we go into that, could you could you share with me, is is it important that teachers are given the freedom to choose activities in their pers- professional learning? Well, quite simply, um, one of the things that came out through all the research that I did is that teachers value choice in their professional learning. So what I and but but. In reality, what you've got to do is to create an environment in which, through the teacher's professional learning, you are both meeting their needs, their individual needs, and the needs of the school. So what we did with our overarching topics is to, to begin with a theme that is so open that anybody could, could direct it according to the needs of their children and their current class, and also of themselves. So, for example, the first module we did was assessment for learning which is literally everything about the profession, isn't it? So uh, year six decided to look at peer assessment, children to children. Year one looked at engagement of children in the whole class teaching. So, so uh, other topics we've done is dialogic teaching. We've done uh, imagination and creativity. So um, an overarching theme was important because then teachers could bounce ideas off each other or, or could do readings together. But they decided upon how they wanted to implement it in their classrooms. The other thing is when it came to the dissertation, uh, each teacher would come to me and say what they were interested in, and every one of them was allowed to, to, to drive the topic of their own dissertation. I think it's really important because t- teachers need to feel that they that it's something that they are building and leading on rather than, rather than something that's done to them. Certainly, certainly agree with that in terms of, of how I feel about professional learning. Um, so you've mentioned a few of the things there and you mentioned them earlier on in, in the interview, Kovan. What activities are undertaken in your thinking school and what does it look like in your schools? Okay, so first of all, I've talked quite a bit about um, action research. So um, we, we tend to work on a model where we have a, 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 re- a research project in the autumn term then in the spring term, we catch up with other sort of statutory staff or, or uh, individual foci that we might want to introduce, like a PE training or something. And then in the summer, we do a second uh, module. So, so over the term, there's an overarching theme, like I've described, where teachers will engage in some readings. Um, and if they choose to submit a master's module for it, they can. 
Um, so they're, they're engaging collaboratively, they're trialing changes to their practice, they're reflecting and improving their practice. Um, we also, and, and, and again, it's the example of meeting the needs of the school, um, but meeting their individual learning needs as well. Um, every member of staff is developed as a coach. So, for example, in terms of our most, in, in terms of our learning leaders, we have no weekly meetings. So usually in schools, the leadership team usually meet once a week and go through certain things. Instead of a weekly meeting, we spend one day off-site per half-term of a day of pure coaching in which I will facilitate what we call action learning. Um, meanwhile, every member of staff, office, um, learning coaches is, is developed as, uh, as a coach. Um, then we will look at ensuring that teachers engage in um, team teaching, collaborative planning, peer learning, lesson study, um, and the other thing that we talked about was that um, we never ever do judgment or lesson observations. So the peer learning and lesson study is actually a focus on using the opportunity to engage with your practitioners and go into each other's classrooms to really think deeply about the practice in terms of its impact on the children's learning and what we can learn from that. So those are the, those are the, the activities that we always engage in. That sounds wonderful. So what, other, what further professional learning opportunities do you encourage your, your staff to take? So if, if you have a member of staff that comes into your school, they're obviously going to take part in action research and so on, and you alluded to submitted some master models. So what further professional learning opportunities do you, do you encourage them to, to, to take? Well, uh, in terms of externally, um, we, when we do our master's modules, we have uh, speakers coming in or, or um, researchers coming in to support that. But definitely one of the things we do is, we, as a thinking school, everybody here engages in reading and research, and they might be driving that themselves. So they might be reading something, and then they share that with, with others. It's also about giving time and space during the school day to enable people to engage in research. Um, but in terms of off-site courses, that, again, it would have to fit the model. So where you might have uh, learning over time. So many of our, our, our leaders do mentoring and coaching of others. Uh, five of our teachers are SLEs, specialist leaders in education, so they're developing others, they're visiting other settings. Um, and so it, it's really about the individual and, and the individual driving areas of practice. The other thing that we've got is because we're working across two schools, we get the opportunity for, for, for people from our school to be able to go over and enable the development of others in another school. These are really like fantastic and deep professional learning opportunities for them. They certainly are. And you mentioned about um, giving time and space during the, the school day. How do you facilitate that? Yeah, because that's often one of the most common questions I'm asked. But say, for example, peer learning. Peer learning might only require going into each other's class for 20 minutes. Um, but just let's just imagine that the purpose of us being school is to impact upon children's learning. Any opportunities in which you can give uh, practitioners opportunities to develop and learn, you should take it. The other thing is, in, in, in the community that you develop, uh, and this is going to sound strange, our teachers don't get sick as often. So we're not spending money on supplies. Um, what we are able to do is to, to invest in the CPD, or the, the CPL as I describe it, the learning of our teachers and, and being creative in giving opportunities during the school day for someone to maybe do some reading, someone to go into other classrooms, someone to work with to the peer learning, um, but small pockets of time. 
Because I learn, because if you're developing everybody, you're learning coaches, your teaching assistants can take the classes for 20 minutes, half an, half an hour, because they're developing as well. They're engaging in reading. And we've had a learning coach at the school who um, has done her first degree now, is going to do teacher training at the school, um, and then will be part of the learning community. And she, she, if she achieves that, she'll be the third person within the school to go from learning coach to right through into the into the classroom. So... It's about enabling everybody to develop. That's brilliant, that idea of, of empowerment. We talk in Scotland about the empowerment agenda. And I think that, that's a beautiful translation of that empowerment agenda because you said earlier the learning coach would be a, be one of a, a teaching assistant and to have them learning alongside uh, teachers and school leaders and then becoming a teacher themselves, I think, is a, is a wonderful representation of the, the culture that you've created in your schools. Yeah, and I think sometimes when people talk about empowerment, it isn't authentic because there's no point saying, oh, we've got distributed leaders and we empower them if they haven't got a voice. Um, you know, actually, there's a display right outside my office, which I'm looking at now, um, which is representing our school learning plan. And, and the title of the display is A Community of Empowered Learners. So you're not going to empower the children if you can't empower the adults. And I think often many leaders... They want that control, and they they don't really want to genuinely empower. Certainly, I th- I think uh, that would definitely come across for a lot of, a lot of listeners in the in the settings that they're at. You kind of mentioned uh, the idea of coaching and mentoring and coaching, and you do a lot of training in that, and you have this off-site coaching day. So, how how important is it, Covan, to include a coaching model in your in your culture in your professional learning community? Well, I've um, else I've, had, I've I've written about the coaching, and I've described it as um, the glue. It is the glue that is essential to enabling all the activities um, to take place. Because coaching encourages you to to listen actively, it encourages you to be solution focused, it encourages you to, to reflect deeply, and if we didn't have the coaching, it, some of the activities might be quite superficial. Um, so when I've gone into another school, I've realised that I've, I've tried to implement some activities, but the gap has been the lack of coaching skills. And coaching, someone once said to me, you need to do 1,000 hours of coaching to be considered a coach. So it's something you have to constantly work at and develop. So I'd say it's fundamentally important. Okay, so how does that look like in a, in, on a on a day and week and a month basis yes. in your schools? How, right, do you, so, how, do, how do you develop that coaching? And, so and um, uh, weekly, currently, at the, at the school that I'm, um, the second school that I'm leading, um, every Monday morning we do half an hour before school um, with a cross uh, group of, of practitioners. So it's good to have teachers, leaders, teaching assistants, office staff together and I'm getting them to understand and develop coaching skills, and that will include them observing, watching, taking part, practicing, and developing. And it has to be done over time. So it can't be like a day course. A half an hour a week for 12 weeks is going to be more powerful than, than a one-off day. In terms of the leader action learning set, that is, should be a maximum of six people, plus the facilitator, which I am, and each of them will maybe have an hour during the day where they come, with uh, a puzzle, a challenge, we just use the word a thing because we don't want to define it too much, that that a person isn't able to solve by themselves. So when they come with that, we'll use different strategies to facilitate them to think more deeper about it, to reflect on it. We use mirroring strategies. 
and then they come up with a key action that they would like to enable them to move on in their learning and their thinking. And the feedback from them is it's the most powerful professional learning opportunity they have engaged in and continue to engage in. So they, they look for it every um, half term. It was actually supposed to be this Tuesday, but because of the situation, we haven't been able to do it. Of course, of course you haven't. No, I think that's a wonderful way to sum up that and the idea that it's the most powerful learning opportunity that they have is definitely a good good way to sum up having a having embedded a coaching model in your in your school so just to sum up kind of some of the things we've, we've spoken about there in, th- in through your book how do we then develop that the culture there to to not only create a thinking school but then to maintain it over a longer period of time which you've obviously done across your two schools well i, I, th- I think the toughest bit is at the beginning the toughest bit is the first couple of years because you you it's like energy sources so you you'll have when I go into a school, often the teachers feel liberated. The feedback currently in the second school that I'm leaving is, is, is requiring improvement, and they have been on their knees. Um, and by giving them time and space to think and learn, their feedback is that um, they feel empowered, they feel that they have a voice, they feel that... They actually said, within, within one week, they said the children were enjoying their learning more. Um, it is very powerful. Having said that... Um, the deputy at that second school left within two and a half weeks um, and the early years lead left after six weeks because, according to them, it wasn't the way in which they were used to, to working. As time goes by, if you are consistently implementing the activities and you're consistent with the coaching skills, what you, what you then do, a little bit like the sigmoid curve, is you're continually innovating and developing. But your learning community is so strong that it doesn't need me to be here necessarily for it to continue to grow and develop because everyone who's come in as a student teacher, they will tell you that they won't be able to work in an environment other than a thinking school. And so once it's once it's developed, it is easier to maintain, which is why I've got it in one school and I'm, I'm testing myself by trying... To, the second school I'm working in is a five-form entry school. Um, and has, has, is requiring improvement and has, has been in challenging situations for a number of years. So I, I, I'm almost wanting to prove to myself and everybody else that, listen, there is an alternative way of working, and it is about empowering staff, and it is about valuing staff and maintaining and retaining them to the profession, and it's going to have a greater impact upon children's learning. So the first bit, the, the first year or two is the hard bit. Certainly, I think that, and I think having that greater impact on child's learning is kind of the... The, the fundamental reason for why we should try and engage and empower the adults as well as, as the learners to then truly get that dynamic learning community. Well, Colvin, we've come to the to the end of that kind of that first section of the podcast, the the interview section. And just to before we go on to the final three questions that I, that I ask all my guests, could you share where the listeners could buy your book, and secondly, where they could find out more about about you and engage with you. Yeah, well, uh, firstly, the book um, is available, it's published by John Catt, um, but it's available on Amazon. And in terms of engagement with me, I do, um, I am on Twitter, um, and I tweet at, uh, at Thinking School 2. Um, but also, at the end of the day, I'm a practitioner. We, uh, well, obviously, we can't at the moment, but in, in this academic year alone, we've hosted visits for professionals and leaders right across this country, um, Nigeria, Australia, India, and the Netherlands, 
um, uh, and uh, Norway. So, you know, as a as a, I'm privileged because I, I see myself as an academic, but fundamentally I'm a practitioner, and so other practitioners can engage with the work that we do both at our school and also follow me through Twitter. So, yeah, I, I'm always happy to talk about um, the work that we're doing. Thank you, and I, I, you, you teach quite a bit, so it's great to, to to follow that and see your thinking and, and how you share that and how you're so open with that. So thank you very much. Um, on to the final three questions now, um, as I say, that I ask all the guests. And, and the first one of that is, what book or text, Calvern, has had the biggest impact on your teaching career? Okay, um, I, I'm going to uh, go for something that perhaps... Um, uh, many educators may not be familiar with because what I found when I was doing my masters was that I I I had just such a focus on professional development in schools, what was being done in schools, and in my third year of my doctorate, um, my supervisor at the time introduced me to workplace learning theories, and there was a book by two researchers, Lave and Wenger, published in 1991, um, and I think it was. Um, entitled Communities of Practice, Legitimate Peripheral Participation. And it blew my mind because, because it, 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 it was the first sort of introduction to this concept of what, what others have called workplace learning, situated learning, informal learning. And that the influence of the learning environment in schools or in any workplaces and the expansiveness of it and how that can create a, a learning community. So that was the one that sort of just... You know when you read something and it just takes you into a different uh, a different room, a different corridor, mm-hmm. a different library. So that, that one was powerful for me. Beautiful, thank you. Um, second question then, if you could give just one bit of advice to a teacher, what would that be? Um, I would say always say what you feel, say what you think and be honest and open about your practice. I think we, we encourage a profession in which we're encouraged to hide our flaws um, and perform and so I would say if you're not sure about something or if you need some help with something or you want to understand something make sure you ask someone make sure you're open and honest I would certainly agree with that and and final question for the podcast is something that really really fascinates me and I'm, and I'm getting some great things from all the guests that are that are wide and varied and I'm very interested to hear what you think of this. So my final question, Colvarn, is what do you think gets in the way most of just great teaching in our classrooms? I, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I think the easiest thing for me to say is, is poor leadership because too many teachers are frustrated because they're having to do things that they disagree with. Um, because it's in a culture of compliance and control rather than openness. So, the, the, uh, you know, one of the things I found in, in my research is that anything you ask a, a, a teacher to do that they don't see the purpose of is is disempowering um, and it, it, it takes your energy away. And so um, I think that to get the best out of teachers, you need to get them talking to each other, you need to get them engaging in research, you, get, you need them to think about what they're doing in their practice, and that requires a culture of openness and honesty. And that certainly came across in, the, in our conversation to the interview section, and it definitely comes across in your book, Calvin. So I would definitely encourage the listeners to go out and, and grab a copy and read that, and then see what what is possible if you do engage in that, in that open 
kind of open environment where you can challenge and discuss and, and research and improve your practice. So I'd like to take this opportunity now, Colvin, to thank you so much for, for giving me your time. I know you're a, a busy man with with two being the head teacher of two schools. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, you're very welcome, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Educated podcast. Until next time. Teach with joy.